Hey there, Emma. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I feel like we really need to um, kind of solidify our opening and closing. <laughs> and I know what I want to do for our closer. Okay. You know, because like everybody who <laughs> has a podcast ends the same way. You know, whereas like, we always just kind of trail off, like, <laughs> right, oh, we're bye, all like, bye. Hey, yeah, like there's no real end, so you know it's the end. Yeah. Um, you know, like seatbelts. Do you know that one? No. Do you know what podcast that's from? No. Okay. Well, that's going to be the quiz. If oh, anybody shoot. knows what podcast they end with, seatbelts. So. Is this the end of the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're going to start with talking about how every. Every episode of Couplescape from now on will start with us talking about how another podcast ends their <laughs> podcast. Perfect. No. No, 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 no. No, what I wanted to say is how we open and close. I feel like for me, mm-hmm. if we could have that defined, you need- it would make me more comfortable. Okay. Okay, so how do you want to start opening? <laughs> I don't I, know. I feel like we always just go, we were like ramble a little for a minute, and then we go, hey, hello, <laughs> and welcome to... Couplescape. And we say it together. Yeah. And I say, I'm Emma Arnold. And I'm Jocelyn Robertson. <laughs> you never <laughs> want to say your last name, which is part of our... That's part it's of part our... of shtick. Yeah. No, uh, actually, I decided... I, I just said my name, and the reason that I hesitated was because I have decided that I'm now going to go by my childhood nickname instead of Jocelyn. Really? Yes. What is it? <laughs> okay. So I was at work the other day, and somebody um, that I work with had this uh, resume from this person who was p- going to participate in one of their programs, and the person's name was Squeak. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm to the point in my adult life where like shit has not worked out for me the way that I thought it was going to. <laughs> And I need to start embracing some eccentricities. Sure. You know, like, I just need to just go full on weird now. Yeah. Like, enough playing by the rules. So, my nickname growing up was Pidge. That As is so cute. Pigeon. Yeah. Okay. I saw that you changed your name on, the, on Twitter, and I was like, I thought you were just, okay, Pidge. Yeah, so that's Pidge. so cute. Why so, Pigeon? Um, because I would walk around um, when I was, like, a toddler all puffed up and self-important. Mm-hmm. And my dad thought it was so funny because I was just like this scrappy, scrawny little, you know, like brat who thought she was really important. And I was very <laughs> serious. And he's like, you're just like a pigeon. So he always Aww. called me pigeon, which was then shortened to pidge. That's really a cute name. <laughs> I love that. So inspired by squeak, <laughs> you can now call me pidge. I'm so jealous because my nickname growing up uh-huh. was Flemily. <laughs> <laughs> or alternately, um, Enema. Or my sisters called me Skeletor or Stegosaurus because I was so skinny and my bones stuck out. And my I have really prominent uh, backbones. And so none of mine are really keepers. I don't have like a... Flemily was like my main... Well, nickname. I think we need to work on that. Or because Flem. everybody they needs... They call me Flem, for short. <laughs> Flem is kind of cute. Flem, yeah. That's kind a... of a gross way. I yeah. mean, pigeon is nothing to aspire to in terms it's, of, like... But it's really... Pigeon it's, it's super cute. It's the rat bird. <laughs> it's also kind of an insult. I feel like your dad meant rooster, but he was, like, got his birds mixed up, and he was like, pigeon, hawk, I don't know. Ooh, hawk. I'm going to tell people that was my childhood nickname. Yeah, my parents called me hawk as a child. That's what I go by now. No big deal. Hawk Arnold. That's my name. 
I think you could. I, but, you know, the problem with um, nicknames is that you can't give them to yourself. Like, no. it, they never catch on. I, and I'm true. pretty sure that Pidge also isn't going to catch on. Although, no. my coworker has been calling me Pidge. I'll call but you Pidge. other people misheard and thought he was calling me <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> HR is like, I'm excuse me. Yeah. I was like, no, she's just a rat bird. It's cool. It's cool. So, which I also actually like that it can be misheard as bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am, when I was nine, I gave myself a nickname and I went around and, and I tried to get it to stick yeah. and was trying to tell people like, yeah, this is just, because I we moved to Boise um, and I started at a new school. So I was like, I'll just come up with it. Also, by the way, we moved to Boise. I decided I was a boy. <laughs> And I dressed as a boy for the first day Flim. of school. That's my name. Sup, Flim, Flim Wilson. How's, how's it going? How's it, how you doing? Um, and I dressed as a boy. I had spikes and a rat tail. Oh, and I my dressed God. As a boy. Where are these pictures? Oh, I, I will post them on the Facebook. I'll send them to you to post. Please. And I um, told people that my nickname was Jaws. Jaws? Jaws. You know what? Because I wanted people to think that I could bite really hard. Like, this is what I was like. I... I wanted people to, I told people, like, I can bite things. I'm so embarrassed by this for some reason. My, like, way to fit in and my best aspiration was, like, people probably like somebody who can bite stuff really hard. And I was like, yeah, people call me Jaws because I can bite stuff really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I you and can, I, but you know what? That was also one of my nicknames that I gave to myself. Because Jaws? Well, yeah, because I'm Jawslin. Oh. <sighs> Well, shoot, you can have Jaws. No, no, no. Jaws you. you can have it. It no, was better. I deserve it. I can't even bite so far. I have very brittle teeth. They're, they're like chiclets. They're so weak. Very weak teeth. Okay, well, okay, maybe, we could, maybe we could crowdsource it. Spike. I'm Pitch. I also, I, at camp, Pitch. I told everybody that I that people called me Spike. And Spike's that's pretty good. Not also not true. It was also a total lie. Nobody called me anything. I was never well-liked enough. People were like, hey, oh, nicknames, Flemily, Flemily. You'll yeah. always be Flemily to me. Hey. My parents still call me Flem sometimes. My stepdad always calls me Flem. Sup, Flem? And we called him um, Bildo. And that was it. Yeah, we were bad at nicknames. They're a whole family of idiots. Damn it. My dad calls me Josh. Mm-hmm. Um... So he's he came up with Pidge and he came up with Josh and he still calls me Josh. I'm suspicious that it's because he doesn't actually know how to say pronounce my name. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know that I've ever heard him say my whole full name, um, and it is a really tricky name for men over fifty. <laughs> <laughs> They're really baffled by how to say it. So I think maybe he calls me Josh because he has no idea how to pronounce it. <laughs> I did my my ex gave me the nickname Bean because I sleep in a tiny ball. I think mm-hmm. he meant pee. But that's not a good nickname. <laughs> so he said, You sleep like a little bean and then his family all called me Bean. And I think that was one reason I loved them is because they gave me this nickname mm-hmm. that I then tried to pass on to my family and they were like, Nah, we're, yeah, not, we're not taking we're not taking we're not, that. we're not doing that. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, everybody calls me Bean now, this is pretty cool. <laughs> Nobody else would do it. Yeah, I love having a nickname. Yeah, I feel Bean, like more people should have nicknames. Bean is like the best nickname. And then when we got divorced, I was like, do I have to? I guess I'm not. Can't use. This I feel nickname like nicknames anymore. can transfer. They, you don't have to give it up in the. If you can take it back, if you can take the ownership of it, it's your name. Yeah. You know. I don't know. But it's up to you. It feels fraught. It feels fraught. <laughs> if it feels fraught, then no. No. But we could come up with something that's similar to Bean. I don't know. Maybe Spike. <laughs> <laughs> Guys. I go by Spike Arnold now. That's uh, kind of my comedy. It's my brand. I'm going to be a badass comedy lady now. I'll call you whatever you want. 
I will call you I... Pidge. I think that's adorable. Okay, great. I love that somebody put it on their resume that they just committed <laughs> super hard. To squeak. Yeah, to, to squeak. squeak. Yeah, that's I was like, cute. it's brilliant. Yeah. And also, I've known, like, some of the most beloved people in my life mm-hmm. have had names like Babe yeah. and Pepper and, <laughs> like, real flimsy names. Yeah. And, you know, but then they, like, they fill them with all the wonderful things that they are so i I like the idea of a silly name for somebody who's like got a great personality my kids all have nicknames um arthur we called smooth his nickname we call him smooth uh henry we call barry barry or barry for short which is a very manly (laughs) very manly nickname and calvin we called sprout so they all had cool nicknames right away Mm -hmm. and actually because of my 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 ex has He's autistic and has Tourette's, so they had lots of nicknames that he would, like, get in a loop, and then he couldn't call them by their name. He would just only call them by the... And I was always like, you're confusing our babies. Careful. <laughs> but they, they're fine. Yeah. They're fine. They'll live. And then, you know, 20 years from now, they'll say, what was my nickname as a kid? It'll be something great. And I'll be like, I think it was John's. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't remember, Spike. sweetie. <laughs> so you want to you wanna make sure the intro is tidy. Was that tidy enough? <laughs> Welcome to Couple Skate. That was the Lucy goosiest one that we've done. This is a little loose. No, I was just thinking, you know, really set the stage set the with stage. some, you know, smooth jazz. Well, we always have the music. We always pick a That's couple true. of skate- skatey songs. Yeah. So people can, you know, get out on skate the dance along. floor and <laughs> skate along. Uh, what, are you, what are we going to talk about? Oh, we're going to talk about uh, avoiding things this week. Yes. Because we're both big avoiders. Right. And you were saying that you are getting better at avoiding things. In my, I'd say in my professional life, I've gotten much better about confronting things in the moment and, and speaking up for myself. I, I think in my personal life, I still, um, especially with my family, when there's something to talk about, the moment will come and I'll be like, right now, this is when you should say something. Right now is the time to say this thing. And I'll just be like, ah, and I'll let it pass. <laughs> yeah, I've um, been a hothead for a lot of my life, especially with my family. Like, I will just spout off and say something and have no filter. But I think in probably the last 10 years, that part of my personality has totally changed. And now I'm like the craziest avoider Mm -hmm. and I, I'm instead a stewer. And so I just don't say anything at all. And I just stew and stew and stew. And then I just ignore everything. (laughs) And, um, because I'm like, I don't want, I just can't have any conflict. Mm -hmm. But then what I'm finding is that avoiding everything means that I have all this internal conflict going on rather than just in the past where I would just blow up and yell and like, you know, have myself heard in, you know, and then it would kind of dissipate now. And I'm just like internalizing everything, internalizing everything. And so it's really not working. Yeah. It's like, instead I'll end up, um, something will happen instead of addressing it right then I end up being like, that's fine. I can let it go, but I never can. Right. I can never actually let it go. And so then I just sit in resentment that builds and builds and builds for days or weeks or whatever. Until then, a lot of times I feel like then, um, I, I also like, I'll just avoid that person. If I right. have conflict, I'll just avoid them kind of indefinitely until it's just sort of passed until like, really it's just gotten, you've gotten enough time that you're finally like, yeah, I don't really care anymore. But in that meantime, I have that inner conflict and I'm stressed out about it and I'm worried and I'm avoiding the person. 
I don't feel like it's a good way to, to yeah, deal with it. Like a continuous loop. I'm in one of those now. Where I'm just like, I really should say something, but I'm not going to say anything, but I might say something, but then I actually won't. And so instead I'm like waking up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning thinking about it. And like, it's really unhealthy, but I'm curious as to why I feel like, I don't know, like like people, as they get older, they get less self-conscious about stuff like that. And yeah. for me, I'm getting more self-conscious about stuff like that. So at what yeah. point do I get to look forward to just blurting again? Just blurting. I, don't, I feel like um, it, it's, it goes back to the not farting in front of people thing. Because I feel like for me, a lot of the avoiding conflict is this idea that if there is conflict, that relationship is over. You know, which I isn't true usually, you know, but like I just have or like that person won't love me anymore or whatever, you know, and I feel like a lot of the times I end up avoiding. Con also, it was a big deal in my family, like my to be laid back is to, and to be like to not cause a scene is like a big plus in my family. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, I was always the one who was like, this is bullshit. And then I think the social training finally caught up to me to the point where I stopped. Like I would just be like, eh, let it go, you know. My parents have this motto. This is my parents' motto. Um, you might want to save that breath, or you might want to save that breath. You might need it someday. Mm. And so anytime you're like, well, I'm going to say something, they're like, say, oh, you might want to save that breath. And I feel like that has intruded more and more as I've gotten older to the point where I just end up never talking to people about stuff. Right. Well, I think um, my relationships um, as an adult, other than as my family, have now... <laughs> The, my behavior and those things have now bled into my person, my other personal relationships, like my family, Gosh, because sorry. I've gotten to the point where I was, just, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a blog post on this now because it's really been, um, something that I've been thinking about, which is why don't I say I love you anymore in relationships? Um, when I was in my twenties and I was in a relationship, I couldn't get to three months without being like, overcome by the need to say I love you to somebody <laughs> and I don't think that I've said I love you to a boyfriend in like eight years wow really yeah but also they have not said it to me either and in fact the the guy that I lived with who almost murdered me <laughs> you always drop this I begged you to talk about this on the podcast and you're like another time but if, if people stay are, tuned I will tell the we, story it's just time, such a long story next time how about next podcast we'll tell the story about how Jocelyn almost got murdered by her boyfriend <laughs> and that she always drops like uh, it's no big deal I mean I'm over it now yeah but anyway we lived together we were together and like living in the same house that we built together and we never we didn't say I love you, you didn't until even say I love you with him oh, oh you did. not until almost like after he murdered you tried yeah. to murder you really no though like almost maybe a month before we broke up wow it it just never came up that's insane yeah and i would like the last boyfriend i had it bugged me so bad because I knew that he was never going to say it. Mm -hmm. I just knew it in my heart. And I knew that if I said it, he wasn't going to reciprocate, even though I really believe that we loved each other. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I don't know what it is. It's, it's if you put it out into the world, then you have to deal with the ramifications of it, positive or negative. Right. And so if you just don't say it, you never have to deal with it. Well, if you, if you say, I love you and you like, let yourself be that vulnerable and like sink into that. Then if you get hurt, it's real hurt, but kind of pre before but that. But you know what though? It wouldn't have been any no, less it's hurtful. The same hurt, it yeah. still fucking hurts so bad. But is it just letting them know? 
I think so. I think yeah. it's. I think if you tell somebody you love them, then it gives them power over you mm. to know that you are vulnerable. And I will not let myself be that vulnerable anymore. Just because of murder? Just because of that? <laughs> God. No, just just because I'm afraid. That's the thing. Yeah. I'm avoiding it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's so stupid. It's it, like It is because it's like, okay, so you tell someone you love them and they break your heart. You kind of know what to do with that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you've right. dealt with that before. You're right. A- and like I'm saying, it's it doesn't hurt less to, to have, you know, like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't tell him I loved him. Yeah. You know, like, wow, really, you know. Yeah. But it is. It's giving them power. It's letting them know they could hurt and you. And like you said, um, what did you say? You said <laughs> that, okay, I just totally lost my train of thought. Anyway. Um, yeah, I, one thing I think, um, I have always, my family says I love you a lot, like very openly. And like, I have always been the kind of person who says I love you very early in relationships and with friends, like, I, you know, like, I'll be on the phone with a friend and I'll be like, okay, well, I love you. See you tomorrow. And um, I always, I feel like for me that that phrase has never been very, like, super weighted. Like, when Dylan and I were dating, we had been dating for a few months and I was just like, oh, I love you. And he was like, what the fuck? And I was like, you don't have to say it back to me. I don't care. But that's because one of my, like, major personal flaws is making myself super vulnerable to people who... Um, are not safe. So you're right. like the opposite where you're like, keep yourself super safe no matter what, even maybe if the person is okay. Whereas I just have always just thrown my heart out there, even with people who were clearly abusive, clearly hurtful, and was always just like, that's okay, I can take it, and then just got pummeled a bunch, you know, and never learned from it. And I think now I'm a little more careful. Like only honestly in the last six months or even a year have I started to be like, I should be more careful who I let close like into my inner circle. Cause I never had a filter before. No, I let like really toxic people be very cruel to me. And, and now I think now I'm starting to be like, Hey, maybe I don't say I love you to everybody. Right. I said it the other day to somebody on Craigslist <laughs> because I, we were on the phone talking about fencing and then I was like, okay, love you. Bye. And he was like, uh, and I was like, Oh, I don't love you. We're strangers. <laughs> Goodbye forever. I don't want that fencing anymore. <laughs> so embarrassing yeah i just wonder why it is that the words are so hard when i feel like i have so much love for so many people and i definitely feel that like you know i love people that i work with i love my friends i you know love my family and yet i just feel so reserved i'm just so reserved Mm -hmm. (laughs) about saying it yeah and that's new in you know in my 30s as i i was like you before i was just like i will tell anybody i don't care i can be vulnerable and i feel i feel empowered by my vulnerability i am no longer empowered by my vulnerability (laughs) i'm stunted by it i think part of it is um i i don't think i ever really was vulnerable that's why it was easy for me to say i love you was it was a way to sort of make other people feel vulnerable i actually think a lot of my my vulnerability was like, I was always really good at faking intimacy and I was really good at being super like intimate and genuine, but none of that stuff was important to me. Like my own secrets and my own, um, like vulnerability weren't important to me. So people would be like, Oh my God, they're just like, wait, you know, you're just pouring your heart out. But really I wasn't like, it was, it was never like a real vulnerability to me. So being like, I love you was also, there was no risk in it for me Mm because I actually didn't, I think I think I was so kind of so shallow in a lot of ways that it 
it was easy to be all the way out is because it was such a shallow pool. And I think that's part of it as I've been in so much fucking therapy for the last few years, that pool has gotten deeper and deeper and deeper. And I've started to be a lot more wary and a lot more careful about being vulnerable and intimate because it's like real shit for me now. And now it's scary. Like the stuff, like being with Dylan, like the stuff that like actual intimacy is, t is a lot more terrifying to me. Whereas before it was like, whatever, like actually really letting somebody know who you are, pooping in front of someone, <laughs> barfing in front of someone, those things, like really telling a person, like letting them see your real personal flaws is really scary. Except I have a blog where I let people see like my grossest personal flaws all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't do that in my real life. I think people might be surprised that my blog is probably so much more out there mm -hmm. than I am in my personal life. Yeah. In fact, I had a coworker call me out on it. She actually wrote a song. She's a song. Uh, she's a singer songwriter. And we had this concert and she wrote this song and it was about how like she saw me so reserved at work all the time. And mm -hmm. then she read my blog and she's like, holy shit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that you had feelings, <laughs> period. Yeah. You know, good, bad, like dramatic. And um, so I think maybe that's where I work a lot of that stuff out. But that's also an avoidance because it's so one-sided. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's it's the same with only, comedy. it's like, it's me processing it in words and putting it out there, but there, but it stops there. Yeah. I never have a conversation about it. Yeah. You know? So if I have, if I'm fraught about something, well, I work it out there. Well, it's a control thing, too. Like, yeah. that for comedy for me is a way to be um, intimate that I'm entirely in control of. Right. And there's not a lot of risk in that for me. You know, like, people talk to me after the show and be like, I don't like that. And I can be like, I don't care. Right. But, like, I think that, yeah, I do the same thing. Where people who know me in real life are surprised by either my blog or my, my writing or my comedy because they're like, wow, you're really out there in that stuff where you know in person maybe i'm not quite like that so yeah right. kind of the same thing the performance of feelings rather than the uh yeah the actual <laughs> the actual yeah the action of feelings that's a that's a really good way to put it is yeah. the performance of it um i i've always been the kind of person who um i just sort of shut down in in like especially high intensity emotional situations like i just sort of shut off and so I've had fights with, with lots of people where they're like, are you mad? And I'm like, no, uh-uh, I'm not mad. And I'm not lying. Like, it's like genuinely in that moment, I'm not angry because I've just shut off completely. Mm -hmm. And I've just gone kind of still and silent. And I'm, I, I've got, I think I have like a little bit of like the, the fear response of like, some people are fight or flight and mine is just hold very still. Right. <laughs> And no one can see you. Like, talk about avoidance. Every fight I've ever been in, I've just been like, just hold super still. <laughs> Don't move, don't breathe. <laughs> and and so I like I think that has been a major problem for intimacy because it's hard to fight with someone who in that moment just disappears. And that's totally what I do in an argument. Right. Oh, I remembered what, what you had said, which was that if you have a fight with somebody, then they're gone. Yeah. Then they leave. But yeah. you feel like everything is so tenuous. That has definitely been my experience. <laughs> Is that the relationships are so tenuous that even the slightest little infraction, mm -hmm. I know that that it's then over. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really sad because obviously I'm like holding on so tight to something that I know isn't working or yeah. know that's dead or know that is just totally wrong. And I have done that so many times where I'm like, I just 
want I know you're giving me nothing and I know that we're not even close enough that I can fart in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> or even think about farting. Right. But I know that if I do those little tiny things that our relationship is is just on quicksand. Yeah. So And those are the things I think in any relationship with your family, with your friends, you know, with a with a mate, like those are the moments that you grow. Right. As a uh, you know, and I think like you have these opportunities to fight and to grow and then to move to the next level. And if you never take those opportunities, you either just break up or you stay super shallow or, you know, you just end up avoiding things with each other. And a lot of times I know that even in the moment, I'm like, this is a moment to add depth to this. And I'm still too fearful to like, just be like, Hey, guess what? I don't like that. You know? Right. Right. I, I do feel like there, there's that negative positive, um, that you need kind of that yin yang, that builds relationships. And I don't know if it's just like symptomatic of modern relationships or the relationships that I've been involved with in particular, but it's like, nobody wants to go deep, Yeah, you know? And it's like, I know that even if I feel like I want to fight for a person, I know they're not going to fight for me. Mm -hmm. And so fighting means that we're not together. Um, or, you know, talking about big issues means we're not going to be together and um so you just don't talk about them yeah you know well and a lot of times you're with or around somebody who they're not a safe person to have that conversation with like right. i was married for 11 years 12 years and um we ne- people are always like oh did you guys break up because you fought all the time like we never fucking fought we never fought um if i didn't like something i shut up about it because there was always a sense of like it wasn't it wasn't going to be resolved. So what was the point, you right. know? And I think I've had relationships like that in my family too, where it's like, there's no point bringing up this hurt because you're not going to hear me. Right. Um, but then at the same time, like I, and it ends up being very, it's like, that's not fair to do to another person and to have their side of the conversation for them. But also then you just end up living with all the hurt instead mm-hmm. of spreading that to, you know, letting the other person know like, Hey, I don't like this. And you know, living with how that goes out. Yeah, I feel like that for me was a lot of it is I would purposely get into conversation or get into relationships with people, friendships and romantic, where you couldn't deepen that relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I would choose people that weren't safe because that way I never had to be intimate with anyone. Right. So I would choose, purposely choose people who were super toxic or narcissistic. That way you're safe forever. Right. And you can just be, I think I have a lot of the like well, I just did everything. I just did everything I could and they were still a jerk. You know, like there's a lot of, like a martyrdom, martyrdom in my family and that codependency stuff. So I definitely chose people on purpose that way. Right. I definitely have to say like (laughs) looking back over the last hmm, 10 relationships that I've had, I think I knew immediately, you know, I heard this, (laughs) I don't remember who said it, but they said somebody will tell you who they are in your first meeting with them Mm -hmm. they will tell you exactly everything that you need to know going forward yeah and i feel like looking back i'm like oh yeah now instead of just acting like they were telling me like fun factoids or anecdotes i can see why they said the things that they said and what that meant going forward yeah you know like when your boyfriend or when you're the guy you're dating tells you in your first date that he dated somebody for three years and never said i love you yeah that's (laughs) You're like, he's like, I'm also never going to tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's so true. 
You know, I've definitely had relationships where the person the first time let me know, like, I'm I'm a trash can. Right. He's going to use you <laughs> and hurt you. And I was like, wonderful. Right. That's what I expect. I'm I, going to go ahead and tap dance for you now. And yeah. <laughs> let me, I, a, a big thing I do is I pick somebody who is a monster, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, let me prove to you how lovable I am. Yeah. Through so much work and effort. And then what's happened in the past is as soon as that person does, like, I will chip, 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 chip away at a monster until finally I find that gooey center. Then they're finally like, oh, my God, for the first time I feel safe and I can be vulnerable to someone. And then I'm like, boring, bye. (laughs) It's horrible. And I I have not, probably I can say I haven't done that in a lot of years, but for a long time, like, in my, when I was younger, that was kind of my MO Mm -hmm. with men was to, like, pick guys who were really shitty and then chip away at that. And and do that over and that's family of origin shit, you know. Like I think you you relive your relationship with your parents over and over and over until you finally are like, okay, wait, what is this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. In my family, the it's like the testing and proving. Yeah. Like I'm going to put you in a position where you're really uncomfortable, you're really unhappy, and if you stick with it, then you're loyal. You yes. know, there's a lot of like. Yeah. Uh, it's like the Olympic Games of loyalty. Yes. And I see myself doing that all the time. Like, mm-hmm. well, if they don't call me, then I know they're, they're not loyal to me. Yeah. You know, if they yeah. if they don't jump through these hoops, if they're not, you know, pulling out all the stops, I know they're not they're not loyal. And then I just write them off. Yeah. So how my my family is um, like kind of how you show your worth is how much shit can you put up with without complaining? Mm. And so you're always kind of trying to show like how much abuse you can put up with with a smile right and that's how that is worth and and i in complaining in my family is like the worst in, thing you can possibly do and i it is so hard for me to disappoint people like it is like a like a physical manifestation of like like it makes me sick to have to tell people no or to be like you know, to just do, like, really normal stuff, like cancel a show or something, you know. It, That's it's... why I like being friends with you. You never say no. <laughs> You're like, I'm really busy, but okay. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Come over. Oh, God. Well, you're you're one of the few people who, uh, like... Yeah, you actually I'm say actually, no to me all the time. I, I say no to you, yeah. And that's a comfortability thing. Like, weirdly, I think... I was telling Dylan, probably anybody who dated me in my... Like, when I was younger was probably like, oh my God, she's perfect. Because I would give them as much sex as they wanted. I never complained. And I was like, sadly, it's like the the actual version of myself. Like the, when I really love you and feel comfortable is when I'm actually like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and so the version of me that is like the my best self is the version that's not actually as fun and cool and easygoing is actually me being like, no, thank you. <laughs> my mom told me this story yesterday that I just I cracked up because... I got a concussion when I was a kid, and she was telling the story of how the they had to give me a suppository because I was vomiting and I couldn't keep pain medicine down. So they had to give me a suppository, but I was really in and out, like super out of it. And when the guy, the nurse started trying to put the thing in my butt, I turned and said, "No, thank you, no, thank you, no, 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 thank you." <laughs> I feel like that sums up my personality. You can stick. A stranger can put something in my butt and the strongest I react is, no thanks. No, no, no. No thank you. Pass. <laughs> so yeah, that's like if if you if you really get the most sweet, like if you get the vulnerable side of me that is like the side that it feels like I love you and I know I can trust you enough to not just bail if I say no, it's not actually the best the best side, I guess. <laughs> I really wish you would dial it back and start saying <laughs> yes more. 
think everybody. I don't want you disappointing me. I, I, same with like, um, with like in my relationship with, uh, Jeff, my tour partner, is, um, the closer we've gotten and the more we tour together, the more I'll be like, I have thoughts on this. And he always says, like, that's my, like, uh, finger in the air. Um, I have thoughts because the when I can't like when I'm really like okay no 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 we're not doing this I'm just like uh okay and but when we first started I would just like go with the flow and be okay with everything and then I would be super silently like uh, furious in my heart you know but I've gotten much better about being like I'm not doing that I don't want to do that that's dumb we're not doing that professionally I've gotten great at that <laughs> better anyway poor jeff i feel really bad for him because when i've only met him once and i know he's like one you know your best friend and you guys are really close and everything but he's not here so it's hard for me being close to you and not knowing the other person that you're really close to yeah in terms of you know like the dynamics so i met him and i i offended him so badly by saying like i didn't know who he was or i didn't really know him and like (laughs) I don't think he'll ever forgive me for no, that. No, there's no way you offended him with that. Because he is so uncomfortable when people say that they do know him. Well, and I don't mean I don't mean like even very, like him as a celebrity. I mean like him oh, as, as a, a person. person. Okay, maybe <laughs> like, he'd be upset about like, that. I don't think he'd probably ever heard of me. You know, we're just we're like simultaneously living in the same world in yeah, two different places. In two different places, yeah. So you know, I, I wasn't offended that he hadn't heard of me, but he just thought, you know, like, I'm really important to Emma. Yeah. How can you be important How to dare Emma you? and not dare know you? who I am? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, he had for sure knew who you were because I would, I had talked about you. And I'm sure that you had talked about him, but. Yeah. Because I hadn't met him. He was an abstract to yeah. me. Like, he was a person that existed in, in a world where I wasn't living. Yeah. So I, I hadn't given it much thought. Yeah. You know, other than, like, he's really close with her and. So, you know, like... I hope you said it in a very <laughs> 1990s mean girls. Like, I've never even heard of you. If you guys are such best friends, well, then honestly, why haven't I never even heard of your name? <laughs> I think that's how he took it. <laughs> because I'm sure my delivery was sort of just placid and unimpressed, which is just my face that's and the way that I, that's 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 that I talk. Are. Yeah, No, People I know that's like, true because oh, so he totally... I have to pee, by the way, so we're going to have to pause it. Cause I okay, have to pee. we can pause but it. But I know he totally loves you because he's totally been like, what did Jocelyn say about that? <laughs> Like, whenever I've been like, I don't know what I should do. Like, what does Jocelyn say? Well, I bought his new comedy album, which was the first I'd heard yes, his everybody, comedy. Everybody buy Jeff Tate's new comedy album on iTunes. It's called Again. I took that picture. Isn't that a cute picture? It is a cute picture. It's really cute. I love it. And it's yeah, it makes me want a hot album. dog every time I see it. <laughs> it <laughs> like, he's got two hot dogs. Yep. I could have one of those hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, that picture was taken in Pittsburgh, and it was, um, the first day of our tour together. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty sweet. Starting and it, it was dogs. funny because he, when he was developing the album, we were driving a bunch, and he was listening. You have to listen to yourself over and over and be like, "Dude, do, put this track on, take this track off." And so he was making me drive with him and listen to a bunch of his comedy. And so I was texting other comedians I knew and being like, "Just making me listen to him <laughs> do comedy while we're driving. It's really weird. Is this normal for a headliner?" He'd be like, "Don't do that. Don't tell people I'm doing that. I just have to do it for this album." And he was so worried that people thought he was like this narcissist lunatic <laughs> making me listen to his, listen to this, listen to this track. You're going to like this a lot. So yeah. Okay. We're going to okay, pause, pause for it. just a second. Okay. We're back. I had to pee. I'm sorry. I'm doing the 30 day water challenge thing where you drink so much water every day 
And so far, it hasn't made me feel any better. I just pee, like, every 10 minutes, and it's goddamn ridiculous. I'm but, doing a 30-day plank but challenge. But do I look younger? You're you supposed do. to look younger. You do. I think I look really tired, actually. Because <laughs> I am. Um, okay, in the break, uh, we decided that we're going to both of us choose one thing we've been avoiding. Ah. Uh. And we're going to go and have that confrontation, and then we'll check in next week. So, I literally, like, it all seems, like, everything that I would have to do right now seems so completely painful to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that I, I don't know that I can. <laughs> mine is huge, actually. Okay. So when you it. hear mine, maybe you'll be like, well, okay, I'll <laughs> go talk to my sister about something. I, um, mine is pretty big, actually. So... Um, my family doesn't know that I was sexually abused, um, except for my sister. I did tell my sister, but she's the first person. I only told her, like, a month ago. Um, and a part of, like, my homework for therapy for a year has been, so maybe tell your family that. And I've been like, yeah, I should, I will. And so for the last six months, I've been telling my counselor how totally cool I am with telling them every week. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's not even a big deal. I'm not even stressing out about it. It doesn't worry me. It's not a big deal. And then I'll come back in. He's like, did you talk to your family? And I'm like, yeah, I'm totally gonna. Like, it doesn't even bother me. It's not a big deal. And I really, like, for a long time have been like, it's not a big deal. Um, it was by my biological father, which I don't have contact with him anymore. Um, it's, and it's, in a weird way, like, I've processed it, and it's really not that huge of a thing to me anymore. But I don't want to talk to them about it. I really just am like, no, it's going to rock their world right because they haven't had time to mourn it or process it and i kind of don't want to like i it's because i don't want to deal out with their fallout right i don't want to have to be like i don't know it just seems really exhausting and kind of frustrating so i don't and you know i've been through a lot of therapy too and i haven't dealt with anything that major um why why does your counselor want you to tell your family well he he hasn't pushed it in any way um he hasn't like tried to force it or push it uh, it was some, it was like a goal I set for myself like a year ago because I'm starting to be really public about it. Oh, and so you want professionally, them to know and I don't before yeah. they find out through the grapevine, right? I don't. I'm. Uh, it's gonna be. It's in my book, um, which is gonna be published someday because I'm about to finish it. Swear to God, um, it's. I talk about it on podcasts. I I tweet about it. You know, I support a lot of causes. Speakyoursilence.org. Um, you know that like help survivors and. I just don't want them to, like, bump into it online somewhere and be shocked by it. And so, I, I like, I don't know what to do. Part of it, too, is uh, when I was 10, I was in counseling, and the counselor was able to kind of draw out. I was, I was also one of those kids that was clearly sexually abused, like, when they give you, like, the 10, like, things to check for. Like, I was the kid who was, like, uh, wouldn't, you know, like, wouldn't let other people see me naked and, you know, was, like, really uptight about being touched. Like, I was obviously something there was wrong with me, so... The, this counselor drew that out of me slowly, and I told my parents when I was 10, I told them that I had been abused, and they assured me that I had not. And they were like, my, my mother said, I can't, this makes them sound like monsters, but honestly, I think that they just really hoped that I hadn't. And this was around the time, do you remember, when like people were worried about people getting memories put into their head? Yeah, for sure. And that was a big thing in like the 90s, and so they were like, are you sure this counselor didn't just put this stuff in your head? And... Um, my mom told me, I can't tell you why, but I know for sure that you were never abused. So I sort of, um, I, I've described that like, like 
being abused, sexually abused is like you spend your whole life holding this balloon underwater. And then finally through like therapy and stuff, you are able to kind of pull it out. But like it takes a lot of energy to hold this thing under the water because it's always trying to bob out and be like, hey, this thing happened. And so finally when I like was able to like take it out and look at it, um, but I was like t as an adult, but when I was 10, when they were like, no, that didn't happen, I was like, cool. Because I, I don't want that to have happened. So I just pushed it down for like another 20 years. I never even told, I never told my husband like, I never told anybody, and it caused a huge amount of crazy in my life, and, and it was really difficult, and there was so much shame around it. It fucked me up sexually, you know, like, it made me an addict, and I, but I know that it's going to wreck my parents that I told them, and then they told me I hadn't. I know that's going to be, like, a huge thing for them. I know it's going to be a huge thing that it was my father, like, it's just all going to be a big fucking mess, and I've put off doing it for a long time because yeah avoidance <laughs> big time bro like I just don't I don't want to tell him I don't want to I don't know it's like a it's like because of them it's not even because I'm I'm not ashamed of it anymore I'm not it's not like a it's not like heartrending for me you know but I just don't want to talk to him yeah I I can understand that I mean I I don't tell my parents anything yeah especially not anything that traumatic that's happened to me i did get on stage once uh at uh an event that i was working with you on and and told the story of um my boyfriend that i had in i guess i was about 17 who was a terrible terrible drug addict and who oh, yeah. like haunted me for life and then finally died of brain cancer after <laughs> after harassing yeah. me for 17 years like my parents had no idea. That story, it, that's another one I want you to tell on this podcast because that shit is bananas. But I like, had... You, you look at it, you just give me chills <laughs> even thinking about that story. Yeah, that story was something that had, you know, had... The way that I started it was that if you look back, the first relationship that you have will set you on a path for relationships to come. And that relationship that I had at 17 sent me down a really, really dark path, which I think I'm still on, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, and so I had, I had never told my parents that story and they came to that event, oh, which I did not invite them, but I didn't not invite them. They'd seen me uh, on stage telling another story that was funny, which they also hadn't known happened to me. But yeah, I, I could have never have sat in a room and told them that. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how you can do it. I don't, you know, it's just like, the, the family relationships are are so complex mm -hmm. and everybody has such an individual experience of an event or, um, you know, especially people that are close to you. Like, I, I can't tell my parents things that have happened to me because I know they will take it so personally. Yeah. I know how much they are going to take it on as guilt. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, I don't need you to be guilty for it. Like, I don't, that's not what I want in 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 telling you this story, but I know that they will totally take it on yeah. like that. Yeah. And so I've just avoided telling my parents things because I don't want to cause them the, you know, the heartache yeah. of knowing about my pain. Yeah. I didn't tell them, you know, I didn't tell them about the scary stuff that was happening in my marriage. And I, I didn't tell them anything. And it was kind of, it was that because I didn't, I didn't want them to worry. I didn't want them to feel like they had done it to me, you know, right. and I just didn't, but there, again, it's like that opportunity for growth. Like they, in a lot of ways, they don't know who I am. Right. And I have this opportunity to be like, Hey, this is 
who I am. This is why I've done these things. I think a lot of like a lot of my behavior my whole life has been really baffling to my parents. Yeah. They've been like, "What are you?" Cuz I'm I'm the only person in my family who was sexually abused, and I'm very different than my siblings, and I know growing up they were always kind of like, "The fuck is wrong with this one?" Yeah. You know? <laughs> Even becoming a comedian cuz like my my family a lot of people are funny, but like when I became a comedian, I feel like everybody was kind of like, "What? Really?" And I feel like having that conversation maybe would be a lot of light bulbs of like, oh my God, so much of, you know, why you were hypersexual as a teenager and like all these things, maybe they would finally understand me. Yeah. I, I, I've always felt but like also, the, no the, the blackest no sheep. Right. I was yeah. going to say like, I feel like, oh yeah, I could open up that well yeah. right now <laughs> to what end? Yeah. Like my family has no idea who I am. I remember yeah. like, like two years ago, I think it was that, that story that, that I'll tell about my hoarder boyfriend. My mom came up to me and she's like, I had no idea you were funny. And I was just like, yeah. I am known among everybody that knows me as a funny person. Yeah. Like I would say that a lot of people, if they had to describe me in one word, yeah. would say funny. Yeah. And my mom, two years ago, was like, I didn't know you were funny. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 You don't actually know zero about me. That's exactly. My family, when I started doing comedy, was like, oh, <laughs> really? Oh, okay. I mean, a few of them were like, oh, yeah, you're funny. But a lot, like, uh, nobody really knew me, you know? Nobody really knew who I was. And I was just kind of this you know my parents finally just sort of like sort of like um found out a little bit about the story about the guy who tried to kill me which i will tell that story next time um (laughs) they heard sort of peripherally through some other people and my mom said uh you know later we were having a conversation and she said to somebody else that's that's why jocelyn has had such a hard time and she has a lot of things that she's probably going to process and it's you know it's probably going to haunt her for a long time. And I was just like, that's also why I didn't tell you because I don't want you then analyzing everything yeah. that comes after and like yeah. <laughs> psychologizing it for me. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah, now you see why I've had a hundred failed relationships yeah. because of these relationship traumas. And I didn't want her to know. So she wouldn't like, be, yeah. be looking at it that way yeah. every time I have an interaction now with somebody like oh she's gonna have a hard time yeah she's gonna have a hard time <laughs> trusting people yes yes thank you for realizing that yeah. now yeah that does <laughs> 25 years later frustrating very like annoying to be like well and you remember I heard that story so I know <laughs> that you have trust issues yeah yeah I do <laughs> I sure do yeah yeah that that's definitely true my family is uh, like even one time I was telling my um, my aunts, I'm very close to my aunts, and something came up about my father, and I said that he was physically abusive. And they were like, what? He was? Oh, I didn't know that. And I was like, I was like already so mad that I was ready to burn the house down. <laughs> because I was like, m- my family rewrites history yeah. so that they don't have to ever acknowledge why you might be a certain way. And so... They were like, oh, I didn't know he was physically... I'm like, he was horribly physically abusive. And they were like, oh, I thought it was just emotional abuse. And I'm like, no. Oh, so much better oh, also. Oh, well, that's also fine, yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a big baby I am for coming out all broken from that. But, like, that is kind of how... I think one of my reluctances to talk to them is, like, I, I don't want to get mad if they try to rewrite 
that history and be like, well, you know, maybe this happened, but probably not all of it. Um, I, I just, I think it's like I have the fury of 10,000 storms in me, potentially. Right. And if they were like, minimize it, or maybe that's part of it, is I don't want to have to f- have a huge fight with them if they react poorly, which is a very big possibility. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so. it is a big possibility, but like has happened to me in so many situations in my life, people are so kind and they Mm -hmm. respond in a way that you didn't anticipate because you always think it's going to be worst case scenario. That's true. And so there's a really good chance that they know and care about you enough that it'll actually be really easy and fine. And you'll, they'll respond in a way that maybe even better. Well, the other, you you know how we were earlier saying how I worry people will disappear there's a very good reason for that because every time there's ever been conflict in my family, they disappear. Mm-hmm. And like, f- this is the best example. When I got separated, the day I got separated from um, my husband, I called my mom and said, hey, I'm, we're separating. And I was like bawling and I was just like, we're separating. He, I kicked him out, blah, blah, blah. It was also Valentine's Day. And she was like, okay, well, we're... And then she was like, <laughs> okay, bye. And then they left for the Oregon coast and were out of yeah. cell range for like a week. And... And I, I was just like, wow, that is the perfect example of how, like, when you're like, hey, something terrible happened, that, like, a lot of my family will just disappear. Mm-hmm. They just kind of scatter. And it's, it's that, like, avoidance thing. Like, nobody wants to deal with conflict. Nobody wants to hear about bad things. And it's very uh, Swedish in origin, I think, you know, because my family is all a bunch of uptight Swedes. But, like, I think I'm scared of that. I think I'm scared that if I say, like, hey, this thing happened to me when I was a kid, they'll just disappear. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be, like, two months later and be like, weird, I haven't heard from anybody, you know? like You know, but maybe that's then the best case scenario also. Because yeah. then then you just, you've said it, they have the information, you do with, with it what you want. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, if you're not, it doesn't sound to me like you're coming at it that you need answers from them or that you need the security that they're going to provide or the comfort. Like, you've already got that. You work through it. Yeah. So maybe if they disappear, like, that's how they're going to deal with it. And you can just go forward. Yeah. Because it sounds like to me, like, you just want to go forward. Yeah, I just kind of want to be done with it. Yeah. You know, it's like, it needs to be, like, off like a Band-Aid and just be done. Right. So that's what I'm going to do. No matter how it goes. I'm going to do it. I think you should. I, I... I really, really want it to go the way is comfortable for you. <laughs> I've been like, and I hope I've been that like it will. Telling Dylan, I'm like, can I just do it in a letter? And he's like, no, just tell them. And I'm like, what about an email? Would that be a weird way to handle it? And he's like, just do it. See, in my family will be in a letter. <laughs> yeah, you know that you get after work on a really hot day, and you're like, what the fuck is this now? Yep, yep. So, do you have one? Do you have? A uh, you know, this is a little bit of a tricky week for me because I have. Um, I have a lot going on at my job. I don't have any plans to have an interaction with my family. I have been stewing over something for a really long, long, long time that's coming, kind of coming to a head. And I, uh, I probably should say, yes, I'm going to have an interaction about it. I don't know where that could happen just like this week it's probably well i'm leaving i'm leaving wednesday and not going to be back for longer than a week so you have like uh, okay 10 days okay 10 days so i will try in 10 days but um part of my, my thing is that i'm a little bit of a work martyr i'm in a family business and my family really takes advantage of that and 
Um, you know, both my sisters recently had kids, which I've mentioned before, and nobody has made an attempt to really include me in their lives other than like, if there's work to be done, then somebody will drop off something at my house and I'll like, I'm such a peripheral person. And yet I feel like I'm so integral in terms of the work that's required of me. I don't get to have vacations because of my family business. I have to take time off my real job because of my family business. So I feel like I'm putting a lot into it and what I'm getting out of it is business. Yeah. And not, it's not like I'm getting financial, (laughs) uh, you know, it's not like I'm getting paid for what I do in a way that's uh, equivalent to the work that I'm putting in. Um, so I don't know how to do something other than just complain about that to my family. But like, if it's family business, then the family part needs to be more than just guilt and obligation. Yeah. You know, like I just, I just am not interested in that. Yeah. And so, and that's really how it feels. So like, you know, I could have talked to my dad. I had to have a meeting on Friday night after a full day's work and have been working all weekend and they all went to the hockey game last night together, which they did invite me to, but I had too much work to do for the family business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't go. And I'm just like, why am I doing this? What is the point? Yeah. You know, like just because I, I don't have a life means I also don't get to pursue a life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really trapped in it. So that is an interaction that I need to have. I don't know how to do it without like, you know. Yeah, it's huge. Being aggressive, which is what they always accuse me of, is, you know, being aggressive or bullyish. Yeah. Um, and or, you know, the alternate, which is just me breaking down in tears and being like, nobody, everybody takes advantage of me and poor me. You know, like, yeah. I don't want to be like that either. I yeah. want to be like, hey, I need some benefits, you know? Yeah. Like, if I'm in this family, I want to be part of this family. Yeah. So. And that's a, that's, it's a tough place because it's two complaints, really. Right. Where you're like, I want to feel loved and wanted, and I want you guys to include me and stuff, but also I want to not be, you know, kind of loaded with Burdened. work just because I'm the kid without kids. Right. You know, which is a big part of it. They're or the like, kid. I mean, even before they had kids. Like, yeah. everybody has hobbies. Everybody has, you know, everybody loves to travel. And those are things that are severely limited by yeah. my interaction. Well, and it's my because you're the kid who um, hasn't put her foot down. Right. Because you're the middle kid. Yeah. So you're the kid who's like... Well, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly putting my foot down and they're like, just shut up. Yeah. You know what? Like, this is how it is. Yeah. And and now I'm, you know, I've, I'm avoiding. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking calls. I'm not answering emails or texts because, you know... <laughs> Like, there's just no more time. So, yeah, that's the one I'm dreading. Anywho. We're both going to (laughs) do something about those things. I don't know exactly what yet, but something. Maybe I'll stress eat about it. Yeah. Hey, (laughs) let's go do that. (laughs) We were told by Dylan that we had to finish that box of... um, Red vines? Red vines. Bucket of red vines. I've been sad eating those for quite a while. I just sit and like... 
Um, okay, how do you want to close the podcast? You said I want to say love you, bye. Oh, I love that. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, so. thank you guys for listening. Um, as always, we were sponsored by Melanie Flobin Fowell, and her uh, photography, wonderful photography website is listed on her Facebook. Um, and she is wonderful and super talented, and if you need headshots or boudoir photos, please visit Stop her. Stop trying to solve a boudoir. Oh, I, that is my, my She's going to shit. My hope and joy is somebody will contact her for those and she'll text us and be like, why would, stop it. Stop saying I'm that. just going to say, like, if you need a professional headshot for LinkedIn. She's your girl. Yes. Oh my God. If you need a family photo of you and your four adorable kids. We need a family photo. That's what our next thing should be is like adorable family photos. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening and we love, love you. you. Bye. Bye.